All right, well, welcome to City Lights Church, everyone. I hope you're, hope you're all doing good. Glad you guys are here. And uh, the weather's changing and spring is, is it spring yet? No, it's got like another, the 20th, Wednesday? So you said, so yeah, I love spring. I love when the weather changes. I love being able to get out and hike and all that good stuff. So that's a good thing. Um, so we're in a series, and um, I, I'm probably going to do a message. I'll do a message today, and then I'll do one more, and then we're going to have Easter. So I think uh, this, this today and next week will be the last two messages in the series. We've been doing a series on hope, and um, we need hope. The world, the world is in a war for hope. You, I don't know if you know this, but you are in a war for hope because there's an enemy of your soul that doesn't want you to walk in an abundance of hope. If the, if the enemy of your soul can get you to lose hope, he can rob you of your future. Okay, so without hope, you don't have a future. Uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 11, verse 1, it, it says this about, speaking of hope, it says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So hope actually, if you don't have any hope, you, there's nothing for your faith to grab a hold of. There's nothing for your faith to do. If you don't have hope in life, there's nothing left for you in life. You have to have hope. Um, of course, our, our ultimate hope is heaven's hope. It's, it's anchored in Jesus. If you don't have that hope, you really don't have any hope. But once we have that hope established with God, then we can step out from there and hope in, for situations that we're going through or situations that other people are going through. And so with that hope, there's nothing for your faith to grab a hold of. There's nothing, there's nothing for your faith. There's no action that it can do because there's nothing it can pull on. Hope gives faith something to be confident about. And so I just want to encourage you. We, we want to be people, people of a high level of, of hope in this, in this room. That's why I've been talking about hope. And um, if the enemy can rob you of your hope, he can rob you of your future. And if he can rob you of your future, he can rob God's plan and purpose and destiny for you. And I want to I help us to make sure that God's plan, purpose, and destiny happen in our lives. Amen? So that's what we've been talking about, um, and that's where we're going today. I'm, today, I'm, I'm going to do a, kind of a part two. Two weeks ago, I did a message called um, Persevering Into Hope, and um, by the way, I, I, you know, I remember I talked about the shovel, my old mentor and nemesis, and uh, I had a lot of people come up to me after and really identified with that. They're like, I was raised on a farm, and I was taught perseverance, and um, the, the, the uh, mentor and nemesis, the shovel, or whatever the hard work and the ethic that was, that was drilled into you. And then someone also said this to me. They're like, but that shovel you had, it doesn't look very, like, it doesn't look very weathered. There's still paint on it and stuff. And I just want to say that was a show shovel. You know, that was for, that was for here. I assure you that the shovel that I use is got will splinter your hands and it looks very weathered. So, um, but I did that message persevering into hope, and I actually didn't realize when I kind of started studying this out, I didn't realize how much how much perseverance plays into hope. It's actually very connected, and so I felt like. Um, it was justifiable to kind of do a follow-up, another message on perseverance, but I want to do it with a little bit of a with a little bit of a twist. And that is this. We want to persevere into hope, but we want to persevere into hope in community. Okay? And so there's a, we're going to do a little twist on it. What is the community, um, the people around us, what is the, di- the dynamic that the church, um, p- the community that we're in, what role does that play in uh, hope? So that's what we're going to do today. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. We, we had this, this scripture up um, uh, when we did this a couple weeks ago. 
and it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the race that you're running, it's not my race. My, my race isn't your race. Your race isn't my race. Um, you know, Billy, the great Billy Graham had passed away. We, we're not trying to run his race. You have a specific race that God has called you to run. And you're not responsible to run the person sitting next to you. You're not responsible to run their race. And they're, they're not responsible to run your race. Does that make sense? Um, so I mentioned that. Um, but God has a race marked out for you. He has a plan, purpose, and destiny specific for you. Um, and your purpose and your race is different than mine, but that race that you're called to run, you were never meant to run by yourself. Amen? You were never meant to run that race, and so you're never meant to pull yourself up by your bootstraps all by yourself every day, you know. Um, and so we, we, I want to talk about the dynamic that community has within that. Okay, so you were never designed to accomplish God's will for you by yourself, all right? So let me give you an example of this. Uh, Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Galatians. Galatians chapter six, verse one through two, it says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Verse two, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so we, we read a couple of verses here. The first one, the first one um, Hebrews 12.1, it says, it says this, like, therefore, since we're surrounded by this amazing, great cloud of witnesses, the amazing pioneers of faith that have gone before us, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Just, just get rid of it. Just throw it off. And then we have this other example in Galatians, where Galatians 6, that's like, hey, sometimes um, if you're stuck, you who are um, led by the Spirit, you who are spiritual, um, you help those people who are stuck in sin. And so sometimes in our life, it's like, you know what, this is just stupid. I just need to throw it off. It's like this thing I'm dealing with, it's a dumb sin. I need to just get rid of it. Other times, you're stuck, right? And you actually need someone to come alongside you and help you throw that thing off, right? And that is something, um, if you're not in community and you're not connected to people who are for you, who are, who are Christians, who are spiritual, there's no one there to help you get through that thing. Um, a really good example of this, I was, I was thinking about this week. Do you, you guys know um, uh, Bethel Church in, in Redding, California? And they have a, the Bethel music label. They make a lot of music that we sing here, and we, we admire them in a lot of ways. Well, uh, Jen Johnson, her husband's Brian Johnson, right? Yeah, Brian and Jen Johnson, they're the, they're the directors of music. And she was telling this story one time about how they were touring, and um, she started to, her heart started to go out to one of the band members that they were traveling with. Like she started to like get this attraction uh, for this person in, in the band or whatever. And so, but it scared her. Like she, it scared her because she felt her heart like drifting. She's like, whoa, what's going on here? So actually she went, told her husband like, man, I'm having this, my heart's like, you know, first of all, how many people would do that? You feel your heart drifting. You like, go tell your spouse. And then she went and she goes to Danny Silk, who, who was um, like their, their counseling uh, pastor and stuff like that. And she says, I need, to, I need to get this out in the open. I need to talk about this. I need to figure this thing out. So Danny Silk comes alongside her, talks through it, you know, ministers to her, prays her, sees what the root of all this is. And I'm like, wow. Like these people are like high level, like very visible leaders in the United States and around the world. And this person's like, I'm just going to be real. and I'm going to deal with this thing before it gets out of control. 
first of all, that's a lot of courage she had, you know, and we need to have that kind of courage. Like, you know what? If you're stuck in something, like, hey, uh, I'm stuck. You know, I need some help here. Like, it's okay to get unstuck. But the, the other cool thing about that is the environment that they, like, live in where that's okay. Like, they just, it's, it's all about removing shame. It's all about taking shame away. And so I want to, that's the kind of environment, honestly, I want this church to have where it's like, if you're dealing with stuff, like, I don't want you have to deal with it in secret. Now, obviously, you don't tell all your stuff to every person in the world, but there should be some people in your life, and we should have that environment here where we can be real and we can get this stuff off of us. Um, we can carry each other's burdens. Those of us who are doing good and are spiritual can help one another take that stuff off. Amen? So that's a good word right there. Um, so do you have a person, you in your life, who can help carry your burdens? Do you have a person, because it says here, um, Galatians, carry each other's burdens. Is there a person that can help carry your burdens? If you get a bad diagnosis, is, who do you, is there a person you can call? Um, if you, do you have a person who can comfort you if a family member passes away? Do you have a person you can ask for prayer for that prayer request, the one that you can't put on Facebook because it's too embarrassing or too personal, right? You know, we all see the Facebook like prayer. It's like, 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 I got everyone praying, you know, <clears throat> maybe. Probably more people just liking it than praying it, you know. But I'm saying that, that prayer request, it's like, I can't let, no one can know this. Like that embarrassing one that no one can know about, that personal one that no one can know about. So um, a few weeks ago when I was preaching the first kind of part of this message and persevering into hope, um, and so we're just talking about the community dynamic that that, that, that has to play here. Um, I came across this video, and um, it's a video of a guy that he had ran. He ran a 100, 100 mile race in Leadville, Colorado. So it's a Leadville 100. And um, I want to. I actually want to give a visual illustration of persevering into hope in community. Okay, I think this will drive home. It's a perfect um, illustration for us. Now, a hundred mile race for most of us is like totally inconceivable. So I'm not like trying to put that out there for anyone. But I think it's for the sake of illustration. It's a perfect like microcosm of every high and low that you would face in life. Like if you run a race like that. You're going to hit every high and every low. And life is just like that. You hit the highs of life and you hit the lows of life, right? Like life is an endurance. We're in an endurance race here. This is not a sprint. We're in this and it's an endurance race. We're going to have highs. We're going to have lows. And so I want to play this video. And it actually, it was a 30-minute um, documentary. And I, I whittled it down to like nine minutes. Um, but it, I think it perfectly makes this point of what, what, um, how to run life in community. And so this is a metaphor. I want you to hear this. This is a metaphor for your life. This isn't like, oh, that's a nice illustration. Think about like, this is a metaphor for my life. So think of 100 miles as 100 years, right? Okay. Uh, remember Billy Graham, he just lived, his, he just ran his 99, almost 100 year race. And so this is a metaphor. Um, this is a lifetime race. And the observation I want you to make, did this individual, um, running is kind of like an individual sport, but did he run this race by himself? He had a race marked out for him, but did he run it alone? Amen? Um, and one thing, another thing to take note of, this kind of just fit really good. One of the passes that this person has to get over is called Hope Pass. And this is like the hardest, the hardest part of the race is getting over Hope Pass. And so um, think of this in your own life. It's, it's an it's a illustration for you. So um, let's go ahead and roll that if you guys are ready to do it. I think it's in our nature to be curious creatures. And certainly the determined among the bunch will constantly seek the next thing. 
And for me personally, I wanted my next challenge to be the Leadville 100 in Colorado. miles you're holding back so much because you know how far you have left to go and at the same time you're trying not to get consumed by the enormity of the task at hand it's a hundred miles so you really do your best to try to focus on each breath each step and simply focus on running from aid station to aid station Leadville 100, I think the first running was in 1983, making it the second oldest 100 in the United States behind Western States. That alone, I think, should afford it forever classic status. It's a high altitude race. You start at 10,000 feet in the town of Leadville and run 50 miles out to an old mining town, Winfield, and then turn around and run back. And almost the entire race is above 10,000 feet. And that's another element of challenge. It was the first race like that to be at high altitude for that long of a period of time. Legs already feel like they've run 80 or 90 miles. Oh. Crap twinges. And quads are just hammered. Gonna be a grind. Climb up to Hope Pass, the highest point of the race at 12,600 feet, was absolutely brutal. I got passed by a handful of people, and just when I thought I reached my lowest moment, true to the Colorado mountain spirit, the winds kicked in and the weather moved in. Coming down the mountain for a few moments, all was okay. The sun was shining again, the views were unbelievable, and I ran into a handful of friends. Yeah. How can you complain? I actually enjoyed running down Hope. Sorry, guys. Hey, kidding me? It's a paradia. Cutting it up. The question of why consumed my entire being in that moment. Why? Why are you doing this? Just stop here and the suffering ends right now. You've got well, this. I promise you've got it. You're thinking way too much. I can't, I can't run. Like I'm tripping over rocks when I'm trying to run. Like my legs just aren't 
tight. Everybody comes in feeling the exact same way that you do. Physically, mentally, I was on the verge of wanting to quit. In that moment, it all seemed so impossible. All right, poles, get out of here. Yeah, Let's go, over. have fun. Yeah, I'm glad Colin's with him right now. Yeah, Colin's, Colin's gonna get him over that. Yeah, I, I think if he was gonna drop it, he would've dropped now. There's no way he's gonna drop it, so. You know, he's a little disappointed. You know, he had some expectations, but right now it's just the finish. That should be the goal. He's a tough dude. He's gonna get it. <laughs> For the moment, and with each agonizing step, I told myself, just get to the top of the pass. Just get to the top. Mentally and physically, Getting to the top was one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. And the climb nearly broke me. So I can't tell you the satisfaction I felt when I finally reached the top. I purged and wept tears of relief. It was time to get back to Leadville. During the course of 100 miles, you go through so many swings and emotions, so many highs and lows. One minute you're contemplating quitting, next thing you know you're grinding back up the mountain and running down the other side with renewed vigor and enthusiasm, with the singular focus of getting to that finish line. I'm not built like a Kenyan, running hasn't exactly come easy or natural to me, but I am super passionate about the mountains and that's always inspired me to push myself against it and test myself against it. And in particular, when I've overcome the low moments is when I've gained the most satisfaction out of it. that uh, it usually takes a village. It's not just you, but people in your life. And you're just a small piece in, a, in this big puzzle. And it really comes together why we put ourselves up to a challenge and why we work towards something. You're not really sure if, you, if you're going to achieve it that day. But when you do, it's just extremely worth it. For the first time all day, or at least since mile 50, I feel like I'm actually gonna really, really finish this thing. Leave it to my core. You can certainly go at it alone, but I really believe that life is best when it's shared. Having my friends along for the journey is what truly makes the 100 mile race special. Enjoying the final miles 
of the Level 100 with my boy, awesome pacer, David Daly. Great work, buddy. Teamwork. In the end, I guess we all have our hundred different reasons for doing this. But running 100 miles doesn't have to be your journey. Although I think we can agree that we can all benefit by stepping outside from what's familiar and comfortable just a bit. For me, the finish line, one of my favorite places in the world, gives you a little peek into the satisfaction of doing so. Now, perhaps running 100 miles just connects us a little closer to who we once were in the past. But how we spend our future, obviously, is entirely up to us. Each mile, each step, a new page written. What do you want the remaining chapters of your life to be about? Crazy, huh? <laughs> That's cool, video. <laughs> I don't know, that, that like really, uh, I like when he's trying to get over Hope Pass that second time, I'm like, I like tear up when I see that. He's like trying so hard. But here's the point. Um, did he accomplish this task alone? No, like it was, it was his race marked out for him. Did he accomplish it alone? Absolutely not. And would he have accomplished it alone? Probably, probably not. He, it was obviously, he was like really hurting there towards, towards the end. So um, this is our, the life, the, the race that we're in. We're in the race of a lifetime, all right? And I want to talk about three kinds of relationships that I think we should all have. Three kinds of godly people that we should all have that will, amount, it will actually amount to hope in your life because when you have people to go through life with you, you don't have to face things alone. You will automatically have more hope. Amen? And so um, I mentioned this a few weeks ago in, in uh, I think, my second message, but uh, these three kinds of relationships, but I'm going to go over them again because it's super important. Three kinds of relationships. Number one, um, relationships where I am being pulled up. It's the first kind of relationship that we need, relationships where I am being pulled up. This is like the mentor kind of relationship in our lives, right? And so a mentor is an experienced person or a trusted advisor. Typically, a mentor is someone who's older than you, okay? And so um, a, a biblical example of this would be Elijah and Elisha. And, um, Elijah uh, mentored Elisha in the prophetic. Uh, Moses mentored Joshua in leading a nation. Jethro mentored Moses in managing people. Paul mentored Timothy in being a spiritual father. Jesus mentored his disciples, right, um, in, in apostleship. And so um, you younger people even, even more so need to kind of take heed to this kind of thing because if you don't have anyone who's gone before you, who's run before you and is pulling you up, like you need that in your life. If you don't have that, I would encourage you to pray for and ask God to reveal a person to you that can pour into you like that. It's super important. But I also want to say you, we never really graduate from this either. I, I don't, it doesn't really matter how old you are. I think we always need someone who's a little further ahead of us in the race who can help pull us up, amen? And maybe, you know, if you're 70, 80, 90, the pool at that point of, of older mentors starts getting a little, like, shallower. I realize that. But, um, again, they don't have to be older. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I think we never graduate from the school of life. And so the discipleship is a lifelong journey. So... Um, uh, an example of this in my, in my own life, I've been connecting with some of the other pastors here in Greeley, praying with them uh, once a month, and, and it's, a, it's a cool opportunity for me, too, to like, ask questions. Like, I'll give you an example of a question I asked. This is kind of a funny example because it didn't work out very well, but I was like, you know, I just started a church. I don't really know what day to take off. 
Because it seems like every day kind of bleeds, and I could, I, I could work every day, and I'm trying to like have one day that I take off. I'm like, what, what day do you guys take off? And one pastor's like, I take Mondays, and I'm looking for like kind of a general consensus in the room. Another one's like, I take Thursdays off. Okay. And another one's like, I take Fridays off. Like, this is not helping me at all. They're all, there's no consensus in the room whatsoever. That's not my, but I've been able to go to that group and ask for prayer. They've been able to, you know, pray for me and ask specific questions about how to, how to lead a church. I'm a new pastor of a church. And so that's been a super, a super cool thing in my life. We have um, our overseers, our, our mentors in, in my life, people who have been in ministry before me, people that are older than me, people that can help pray for me and lead me. And so, and also people, um, who are mentors, they can help point out blind spots in your life. The thing about blind spots is you don't know you have them, right? You don't know you have a blind, or maybe you do know you have a blind spot, but you need someone to help point out what that thing is in your life. It's super, super important. Okay, that's the first relationship. The second kind of relationship is relationships where we are pulling together. These are peer relationships, peers. Um, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Okay, so do you have someone in your life like that, that, that sharpens you? Um, Jonathan and David, right, in the Bible, were iron sharpening iron. Abraham and Lot, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were guys that were together sharpening one another, making one another better. Um, now, the caveat I want to say about this is not just, you don't want to have just any friends, like, because you want to have godly friends, godly friends that can, you can pull with together. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, says this, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. So there's a, there's a wrong kind of peer to have in your life, and there's a godly kind of peer to have in your life, and you want to make sure to have the, the godly kind. Amen? So, um, um, yeah, you don't want to let just anyone in that inner circle. The third kind of relationship is relationships where I'm pulling others up, okay? And that's where you're serving. Now, this is, this is super important. Um, it's important. It's important for you to have someone that you're pouring into because part of your spiritual journey, part of your spiritual maturity is actually reaching back and not just running a race and leaving people behind. It's actually you're, you're being led by someone, you're running with people, but you're also reaching back and mentoring and leading others and helping others. This is important for your own spiritual journey because, uh, check this out, uh, John chapter uh, 7, verses 37 through 38 says, um, on the last day of the, uh, and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from them, okay? So notice it says flow from them, the rivers of living water. God's flow in your life, notice this, is not like a lake, it's like a river. God's flow in your life is, a, a, a lake, it just it fills up and it just stays there, right? God's flow in your life is actually like a river. So the more you pour out, the more you're able to serve, actually the more life you'll receive because you're being a conduit. But if you just become this big pool of like, I'm going to receive all these blessings. And you can come to this church and receive lots of blessings. But if you're just keeping that all for yourself, I can promise you that this, it'll actually become a stagnant pool of, of death for you if there's not a flow in your life. Holy Spirit is not a lake. Holy Spirit is like a river. And when we step out in faith, that's when the river starts to flow. It's important for your spiritual journey because 
when you, how many, you, you, know, you know what that's like where you step out and, and God uses you? Don't you just feel alive when that happens? Like, God, God used me to do something. That is like the greatest feeling in the world. It's life to you, right? And obviously it's helping someone else, but it's life to you. So I just want to say in your spiritual journey, that's, it's important for other people, but it's also important for you to have someone, people to pour back into. So think about that. Pray about that. Um, uh, a good example of this is the Dead Sea. I've given this illustration before, but go ahead and put that picture up if you guys have it. This is the Dead Sea. How many have been to the, to the Dead Sea? You float there? Did you float there? It's kind of cool. You float really high in the water because of the, the solution of the water. You're very buoyant. Um, but like this is salt. It's not dissolving because the water can't hold any more salt, right? The Dead Sea, it's the lowest place on earth. There are rivers that flow into the Dead Sea. There's no rivers that flow out of the Dead Sea. So the water evaporates, all the minerals, all the salt, everything just stays there. And nothing can live there. No fish, nothing can live there. It's many, many times saltier than the ocean. This is what it's like in our lives if we are always receiving, 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 we're never pouring back out, right? We're never giving out. We'll become a stagnant pool. None of us want to be a lake, a stagnant pool of death. We want to be a river that flows. Amen? All right, so, uh, so yeah, three kinds of relationships. The ones where people are pulling you up, and if you don't have that, I just don't conjure it up and like artificially find it. Pray, ask God, like, God, is there, who is a person who's, who's ahead of me that can speak into my life? Um, pray about that. Those relationships where you're pulling together, there is like an epidemic, um, and, and I think in this country, especially I think um, middle-aged like men, a lot of middle-aged men have no one that they're pulling with, like no friendships where they're pulling together and, got, and uh, with God. So um, we need that kind of relationship. And of course, we need the last kind of relationship where we're pouring out. Amen? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. Galatians uh, 6, uh, chapter 6, 1 through 2. And actually, we can have the band. You guys can go ahead and come back, and we're going we're gonna to worship before we release you guys here. But it says this, um, brothers and sisters, so again, we read this already, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You have, you specifically have a race to run in life. I want, I, as a pastor, as a leader, I want to make sure and see to it that you run the race marked out for you. But let's remember not to run our race alone, and let's remember not to let other people run their race alone. Amen? Uh, friends don't let friends run alone. And so, friends don't let friends run alone. What's a, write that down. I don't know. <laughs> Tweet it. I don't know. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and we'll, we'll wrap up here. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that life, God, I don't really thank you for this, but life is a journey, and life is difficult, Lord. But God, I thank you that God, you haven't called us just to persevere and endure um, um, in life, God, by ourselves, God. You've called us to endure and persevere, God, um, in community, Lord God, with people, Lord God. And if there's people here, Lord God, you just feel isolated, you don't feel connected, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to uh, individuals that are here, who are, who are those people in my life? Who are those mentors? Who are those people that can pull with me? Who are those people that I'm supposed to be pouring into, Lord God? And Jesus, ultimately, we... We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. Because, God, we know if we take our eyes off of you, the prize, Lord, the ultimate prize, Lord God, we will falter, Lord. But we place our eyes and we fix our gaze on you. We love you. You're amazing. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you guys.